Hi, welcome to Naval Gazing on valleyindy.org and 103.5 WNHH, New Haven's community radio station. Today's episode is brought to you by Valley Gives Back, a new initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Adding a charity to your estate plan creates a legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you during your life. Your action inspires others to follow your lead and to make a difference. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact your community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. For more information, visit valleygivesback.org. The Valley Gives Back is an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation, connecting private philanthropy to the long-term public good of the Valley. Plan now, give later, impact tomorrow. Valleygivesback.org. Hi, it's Eugene. Welcome to Valley Naval Gazing on valleyindy.org. We're also heard on WNHH 103.5, New Haven's community radio station. Today, our guest is Kurt Miller. He's not in the room at the moment, and neither is Ethan Fry, the other reporter here. But we're going to be talking about a Facebook post for Selectman Miller of Seymour posted Thursday night, 8 p.m., and here it is. After much consideration and thought, I am excited to announce that I have opened an exploratory committee for statewide office. My plan is to make to spend the next few weeks talking with folks across the state to determine if I should move forward and what position on the under ticket would most benefit the state of Connecticut. And then Kurt put in a link to www.kurtforct.com because he's collecting donations. So we're going to ask First Selectman Miller of Seymour about that post, and we're calling this podcast, What Are Your Intentions, Mr. Miller? Please enjoy. Good afternoon, Mr. Miller. Welcome to Valley Naval Gazing. Thank you for having me as always. I saw a post last night of yours on Facebook. It was surprising to me, I think. Uh, You've formed an exploratory committee to run for governor. It's fake news. Well, I was actually, I was, I was worried that that it was. I you know, never you know. Did, uh, yeah, you did reach out. Right you never away. know. I did confirm it before, before publishing you, yeah. it. Yeah, but and I actually, and I did say some fake news. It's not for governor. I was just trying to get you in trouble. Mm-hmm. You you formed an exploratory committee. Yes, for a position on the under ticket, not for governor, and obviously not for attorney general because I'm not an attorney. But uh, I'm looking at uh, specifically three other positions. Potentially, but because it's an exploratory committee, you can't really commit to one set position. And you're saying there's that because I was totally ignorant of that. There's some type of state law or state regulation or election. In my understanding of the reasons why exploratory committees are set up, uh, it's to just weigh your options and not necessarily start to run specifically for one committee. Uh, even if you notice that the folks that are running for governor. Um, you know, Mark Bowen, as an example, has an exploratory committee, but he's very careful not to say that he's running for governor per se, even though that everyone knows that's what he's running for. 
So it's just, you know, I'm trying to follow the spirit of the law. Plus, you know, this is not about um, myself or my ego. I honestly think that I can help the state of Connecticut. So as I said in my post, I want to get out and talk to the voters, the delegates, uh, members of different RTCs, some of my other uh, colleagues, elected officials, and just ask them their opinion on where they think my skill set would be a best fit for an overall team approach. For us to fix Connecticut, I think it's going to take a team of people, and I think that I can fit somewhere into that team. But I'm going to do what is best for the state of Connecticut, not necessarily what's best for Kurt Miller. Now, where does this leave Seymour? Because you were just, I mean, as we record this, on Tuesday, it's now Mm -hmm. Friday, Mm -hmm. on Tuesday you were re-elected to another two-year term, your fourth two-year term as Seymour First Selectman. Yes. Um, why, why announce now? Well, the election is a year from uh, today, pretty much. A convention will be coming up in uh, May, so it's time to, to get going. But I didn't think it would be fair to the residents of Seymour to just automatically assume that I was going to win an election uh, and that my mind should be focused in two different, on two different elections. So I wanted to give the voters of Seymour the respect that they deserve. They put a tremendous amount of trust in me. So I waited until after the election. So that way my focus over the last couple months was on the Seymour election. And then now I'll be able to focus on uh, this exploratory committee and see where that takes me. At what point do you definitely commit to, you know, at what point do you name the position you're seeking? Uh, When does that happen? I would expect probably by March. I would transition from an exploratory committee to a candidate committee if that was the direction I was going to go. I, I may not even leave the exploratory committee phase. I may go through the next you know, two or three months talking to people and, and decide that uh, moving forward for a statewide office is not in the cards for me. And at that point, then I can just pull back and, and not move forward. If we determine that that is the case, then we'll, we'll move forward in that direction. But I would expect probably by March. And what does this mean for Seymour now if you sort of have your... Uh Hat in two places. You've got the, you're, you're trying to, you're exploring, literally exploring whether you're going to run for state office, and then you're running the town. You're the top elected official in the town. At this point, it really wouldn't change anything at all. It's just a matter of me making phone calls, going to different events, speaking to people, which, as you know, I do a lot of anyway. Uh, I'm at a lot of different meetings, a lot of different events uh, throughout the week at night. So it's just going to be when I'm at those events, having those conversations. But it's not going to change uh, anything. As you know, as we talked about, I was a little late coming for this podcast because I was on the phone with the Seymour Financial Advisors. And in terms of the Republican contenders or people that have announced or are thinking about running for governor in Connecticut, who are you supporting at this point? You, you have been a Loretti backer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, uh, I support Mayor Loretti. I've been helping him with his, his campaign. Uh, I'm going to have to pull back a little bit, obviously, as I'm looking into my own my own thing. I'm not going to be able to help him as much as I have been, but I'm still a Mayor Loretti supporter. If you look at what he has done with Shelton and take that model and you push that out across the state of Connecticut, I think that would be a great thing. Now, there's some other uh, good people in the race as well, people that I'm friends with, you know, Mayor Boughton for Selectman Herbst, you know, to name a few that I have uh, good relationships with. But uh, that being said, I mean, I am a Mark Loretti supporter. What about Themis? 
Does she clear the field? People think that like if she got in, that like oh everybody would sort of step aside. And I only said Themis because I mispronounce her last name every time. I don't mean Claritus. Claritus. I don't mean to be disrespectful. Well, I I think Themis could be a game changer. Quite honestly, in this whole um, this whole election, I mean, I think if you look at what she has accomplished in the last two years, leading the Republicans in the state legislature is, is quite a thing. I think she has certainly earned. Um, the opportunity to pick which uh, which office she might like to run for. How do you think it's going to go? I mean, you know her. She's born and raised in Seymour. Yeah, Themis and I have been friends basically our entire lives. Um, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what I think she ultimately wants to do. I think she's in line to be the first female Republican Speaker of the House, which is kind of historic, kind of caps a, a very long and distinguished career that she's had in the legislature. So she may want to consider that. But at the same time, if you're given the opportunity to be a strong candidate for governor, is that something that you just let pass by? I don't know. Uh, regardless, I think Themis would probably be a good um, a good leader in either position, whether it's in, as Speaker of the House leading the legislature or as governor leading the executive branch. And then switching gears, and don't let me dominate the whole well, thing. Well, that's just quickly like that. You're, that's assuming that the Republicans take over the legislature next year. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's realistic given, you know, we've had this, you know, quote-unquote Trump backlash for, uh, in Tuesday's elections. Uh, do you think that's, you know, obviously Malloy's a very unpopular governor. Uh, do you think the Republicans could somehow... Uh, take the state house despite what we saw tuesday in the state and nationwide if not necessarily in the valley races you know i think in connecticut i think those are just democratic talking points to be quite honest with you um i think the statewide or state democratic party is trying to spin a statewide narrative to put some doubt in people's minds the state of connecticut did did not vote for donald trump he did not win connecticut secretary uh, clinton did and if you try to take small-town politics and push that out, I don't think it, it has any impact. If you look at the town of Trumbull, one of the big issues near leading up to Election Day was the fact that one of the candidates wanted to take away leaf pickup at curbside. I mean, that has absolutely nothing to do with Donald Trump. It has nothing to do with you know, his policies or his supporters. These small-town elections a lot of times come down to small-town issues, garbage getting picked up, roads getting paved, getting plowed, things like that. So I honestly don't think that Donald Trump is going to weigh into this. I think what the Democrats should be more concerned about is the awful job that has been done by the Democratic-controlled legislature in the state of Connecticut for the last 40 years, and a governor, quite frankly, that has not done the things that he committed to doing when he was elected. And I think they're going to use President Trump as a way to kind of take that light off them. That's really what they should be concerned about. I would argue that the residents of Connecticut are sick and tired of business as usual. And the thing that they're going to be looking for are people with proven track records, people that have, you know, whether it be run municipalities or run businesses, but understand the importance of, of finances and hitting specific goals that they Let have. Let me just quickly, like, give you a, for instance, Brookfield, Connecticut, home of Governor Jody Rell represented that in the legislature for years. I ask because I grew up there. Always been Republican, uh, majority, um, for the most part, Republican-dominated, Board of Selectmen, first Selectmen. 
uh, Democrat took it 63% to 36%, just as I'm looking at it right now. They won the down ticket pretty much up and down the uh, ballot. So you, you just think that that's a, that has nothing to do with the national trend. Brookfield, I, Connecticut going I, I completely don't. blue. Okay. I don't. All right. What about uh, I mean, well, the opposite of that is, I mean, let's look at New Britain. You know, New Britain, let's, let's look even closer to home. Let's look at Ansonia. Antonio's what, two mm-hmm. or three to one Democrats to Republican, yet you have a mayor in Antonio that's basically won in landslides, you know, the last two elections. So, but I think it's about the person. It's about the things that are going on in those, those small towns. I'll be honest, I had one person come up to me and say, you know, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And I was standing with Stefan at the time, and we kind of kidded around. Then I said, well, I'm a Democrat, and, you know, we both started laughing. But that one person said that she was upset with, with Donald Trump, and she wanted to tell me her feelings. I said, is that going to change your vote? She said no. But she just wanted to stress that she has some displeasure what about with the president. The, if you're going statewide, the, you know, the pool gets much bigger where it's not such neighborhood issues and people won't know you as well mm-hmm. uh, as they do in Seymour or the Naugatuck Valley, you know, 130,000 people. At that point, I mean, I, I, th- I would assume that everybody who runs for office now, there'll be that question, you know, would you vote for Donald Trump again if the election was today? Uh, would you vote for him again? Would I, if this was election day 2016, would I vote for Donald Trump again? I would because at the, I thought he was the better of the two candidates that were on the ballot, the two major candidates that were on the ballot. Uh, I was not a Trump supporter to start. I was a, a Kasich guy. I just thought that he was better suited for what the country needed at that point because he had a track record, whether you agree with everything that he did or not. He had a track record in Ohio of being successful in moving that state forward. How do you think Trump's done so far? How would you, if you had to rate him on a 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how's he doing as president? Probably give him a 4, maybe a 5. You know, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm disappointed in a lot of the things that he's done. He's done some good things or tried to do some good things. But his issue is not what he wants to accomplish. His issue is how he goes about and accomplishing or trying to accomplish it. The president of the United States should not be sending out 30 or 40 tweets a day in the middle of the night making crazy statements. He needs to have some control or his staff essentially needs to take his phone away from him. He, everyone hangs on every word that he says and it's very easy to spin those words to cause all sorts of chaos and I think we've seen that. So, you know, he's an intelligent man. He's an successful, a successful man. He should have known or at least realized by now, hey, it's time to stop the tweeting and just stay focused on the job that I need to do. Do you think you'll ever stop tweeting? I don't. What's the, I don't. What's the larger issue there, though? Because, like, what is that about? That you sort know, of manic need for attention, right? Yeah, I think there's, there's some of that. And I think that's where people are, are disappointed. You, know, you expect the president to act a certain way you expect the president to carry themselves in a certain way and you know whether you liked you know president bush or or president clinton or president obama they all carry themselves in a certain way president trump just doesn't do that well it's like he's a reality tv star yeah yeah and it's sad 
I, but, like you, I mean, you, I think, and a lot of Republicans, uh, like there, I've, there was a, a quote in a, uh, in a Politico profile of uh, John Boehner. Like they, t- I don't know if you read it. They talked, they like, they went out and talked to Boehner. He's just like hitting golf balls, dropping F bombs, smoking cigarettes all day. But he said essentially, um, you know, the only person that Hillary had a chance to beat was Trump, and the only person that Trump had a chance to beat was Hillary. And in a country of 300 plus million, like we got these two, mm-hmm. you know, bleepity bleeps, uh, you know, scale of four out of 10. Like, it, it, are there is it, are there people that you could see yourself supporting in 2020, even if they were Democrats, if they were up against Trump? I mean, like centrist Democrats, presumably. Or, uh, you know, potentially, I mean, I'm not going to say that, that I wouldn't, it would depend on the person, their platform, uh, what they stood for, what they hope to accomplish, that type of thing. I'm not going to necessarily say that I would or wouldn't vote for a person, but it, you know, it needs to come down to who you think is, is the best person for the job. And, you know, when people ask me, you know, again, would you vote for Trump again in this, in that situation, 2016? And the answer still is yes, because I thought he was a better choice than Hillary Clinton, and I still believe that. We're starting to see some of these things coming out now on her and her campaign, some of the things they did to... Bernie would have won. Yeah, some of the things. Now, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, is there a different outcome in that election? I think potentially there is. Hmm. So, I don't know. But, I mean, you vote for the people who are on the ballot. The rest of it is just speculation. And again, if my choice was the same in 2016 today, I would, again, vote the exact same way. So let's bring it back to the local level, because one thing we did last night in another podcast, we had Stefan Bahuniak, member of the Board of Selectmen. We asked him uh, to react to your announcement that you're seeking statewide office. And let's see if we can do this. I'm going to... Hopefully you'll be able to hear this too. I don't know if this is going to work. Were you surprised? What's your reaction to that? Uh, I'm not surprised at all. This is something that I expected. I understand why he waited until just after. Yeah, that surprised me. Hey, hey, wait a second. Uh, you just got reelected. Uh, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, it's a, it's a purely political move to wait till just after the municipal election because he doesn't. It's it's a very easy thing for the opposition to target something like you already have one foot out the door, and we didn't run anybody against him, so it wouldn't affect his chances of getting reelected, but it could certainly uh, sway some of the down ticket races. So yeah, it's it's a totally um, politically calculated move, without a doubt. What's he going for? I I see I think he Comptroller. Will, <laughs> I don't think he's going for Comptroller. I don't think he has a, he thinks he has a prayer to beat Kevin Lumbo. I don't No I don't yeah. Think, I don't think anybody was, thinks it could beat was, Kevin Lumbo. Well he yes, he al- he's he's always spoken he's always spoken very high it's not Comptroller, right? Can you say that? Can you rule that out? <laughs> I won't rule out any position at that point, but um, I have spoken positively of uh, Kevin Lembo. I think Kevin Lembo has done a, a good job as comptroller. Um, but you know, if you if you look at uh, the election four years ago in in uh, twenty fourteen, the candidate, the Republican candidate, didn't qualify for state financing, didn't really even campaign, and I believe was was within three or four points of the controller so you know to say that you know kevin lembo was unbeatable i'm not sure is is an accurate statement but but again you know i'll say this as republican i think kevin has done an or excuse me controller lembo has done a nice job calling the governor out 
uh, when he needed to be called out and managing the numbers and not getting too into the politics when it came when it comes to the controller's office. And, and he had, uh, I think he had explored a run possibly for governor, but I think now he said, no, I'm, I'm going to try to re- be reelected for controller, uh, Mr. Yeah. Lembo. Yeah, I think he wanted to focus. I think he realized that you know the governor's office is kind of all-encompassing, and his passion or what he wants to do kind of stays focused with health care and things like that. So, so let's skip ahead and see what else. Uh, the Bohuniak, follow him on Twitter at The Bohuniak. Had to say, I'm skipping ahead like a minute here. Let's let's listen. Down right to Kurt. Uh, state treasurer is something else that I think he would uh, he'd be in line for. Obviously not um, like attorney general, and I don't, I don't see him being a uh, secretary of the state type. So hmm. I, I think it's between lieutenant governor and treasurer. And he was a former board of finance chairman, I think, in Seymour. Yes, yeah, that's so where he uh, that's where he got his start in be a, in Seymour politics. A good fit. If the I would I would like. Who's that guy? We got, we got, we got Fry. Governor, like the Democrats did with LBJ in uh, night. If I'm, if I'm the, I mean, assuming Loretti, right. we're, yeah, I mean, we're there's right. a lot of so it. So this question was, if if you ran with Loretti, if you were Loretti's lieutenant governor, would that hamstring the ticket uh, geographically? Would not, you know, concentrating in the valley. Um, yeah, it's it's easier to name people who if, aren't in. Yeah, it. pretty much. <laughs> if. Loretti and Kurt are on a ticket together. I think you'll see the uh, state Democratic Party jumping for joy because the valley is it's tiny in Connecticut politics. You know, not that not not to say anything you know necessarily negative about Kurt and Loretti as people or as candidates, but if the perception from the state Democratic Party will be one of of great joy if the two of them are are running together, and that's what we have to go up against because. Wow. <laughs> Although I, wow, my man Stefan's coming out swinging. The thing I wanted to, you know what he said. And I know I, he didn't mean anything bad by that. I know. The, the clip that I wanted to find, but I, I guess I don't. He must have said it a different part of the podcast, but he said you've set yourself up because of your work on CCM. You're basically connected uh, to Themis yeah, Claritis. Multiple Claritis. Claritis uh, locally. Bouton, uh, Herbst, uh, Loretti, Claritis. You're so sitting pretty. You could be LT Gov to any one of these uh, candidates, and it's and it's interesting. Like you talked about the I forget the word you like the team aspect of it because in previous elections we've seen it's a, like I can't remember specifically maybe 2010 where the lieutenant governor was just like whoever came second place essentially, and all the guys running for governor it felt like, and it, it, like there was no, there wasn't really like a united front you felt uh, in that ticket. In both 2010 and 2014, the governor and lieutenant governor on the Republican side were kind of forced marriages, for lack of mm. a better term, because you had essentially open battles for the lieutenant governor position and open battles for the governor's position, and while people had matched up at the convention you didn't see those people coming together for the general election. Um, you know, Mayor Boughton, who was the lieutenant governor candidate in 2010, was not aligned uh, with Tom Foley initially. And Heather Sumners was not aligned with Tom Foley in 2014 at the convention. So I think that hurts our party a little bit. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, both Mayor Boughton and, and Senator Sumners worked very hard on those campaigns, but... The governor should be able to pick their their lieutenant governor, and you know, unfortunately, that's not the way our system is set up. But you know, we'll see. You know, to get back to, to Stefan's point a little bit, 
you know, when you look at these tickets, though, you have to look at them strategically. You know, Mayor Loretti and myself, as an example, prop does not make sense as a ticket to run forward because we are from a small part of the state. I think there needs to be um, someone from uh, there needs to be some spread in the areas. You know, having a legislator and uh, whether it be a first selectman or a mayor combined, I think makes sense. I think there needs to be some diversity on our tickets as well. You know, males and females and uh, dif- different eth- ethnicities as well. So just to say, you know, sticking two mayors together because they're friends um, is a good thing. I, I I don't think it necessarily is. And then, so is this your final term as Seymour First Selectman either way? Is this it for you? This is your last uh, I go think, around? I think more than likely this is going to be my last term. I mean, even if I move forward with this exploratory committee and nothing comes out of it or... If I run and, and, you know, I'm not fortunate enough to win in a, ra- a race, um, you know, I would certainly reevaluate next year at this time and make a decision. But uh, I would probably say it's it's 80-20 at this point that I will not run for first selectman at Seymour again. And if you make the decision to, to run and you're successful a year from now and you leave your post how what happens and what are the rules and see is there another election does somebody what how's it work who succeeds you the board of selectmen would uh, i would step down from the board of selectmen and a new selectman would be appointed and then from that group of seven the new first selectman would come from so the board would make the decision who that person is and they would finish the term and we've had some uh experience with that when uh john first selectman john o'toole left during his term, and Frank Conroy, who was on the board, a former first selectman, uh, finished out his term. So then, uh, getting back to the hyper-local level here, the stuff that Ethan and I are, or at least I'm more comfortable with than these crazy statewide issues. Uh, so it was nice knowing you. See you. The, <laughs> uh, I will st- you know, if I am fortunate enough to move, move, and I will still commit to doing my monthly Valley Indie podcast show, Okay. All right. Good. We'll take you up on that offer. Sure. Now, you just uh, you were just reelected. You had no opponent. You yes. didn't like the Valley Indy coverage, you were telling us. We, 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 were, we gave too much time to the Democrats. Well, too much time to the Ansonian Derby, but not that that's a surprise. But they, they had contested I know, races. I know. We, we had two people. We had, we had seven people out there in the field. I'm darn proud of that. Ethan's not. Ethan's he's sleeping not paying, over there. He's not paying no, attention. Yeah. So let's, Definitely. I mean, it was obviously a good night. For, I mean, it, there were no surprises. Yeah. There were no surprises. He's joining the, the, the conversation 45 seconds after we've moved on. I think there's a delay. The, uh, there were no surprises in Seymour, though. Like there, I mean, you, you had uh, uh, Trisha Danka uh, is now on the board of selectmen, a Republican that, that you would endorse and the Republican mm-hmm. committee endorsed. Yep. Uh, you maintained majorities. Was there, it was, was there anything, any, did anything surprise you in, in any way? No. Now, this is kind of what we saw happening. Uh, you know, this is the fourth election in a row that we've gotten every seat that we possibly could. Um, so, no, there was no real no real surprises. And then turning to the other races, I guess the big uh, upset, or I, I guess that's accurate, was Derby. I mean, Derby was going in thought to be the closest race. We, mm-hmm. Everyone had a feeling that Mayor Cassetti would win by a lot because his opponent was, was new in the community. Uh, so I don't, and you know, that wasn't a surprise there. He said he's just a good politician. Uh, I think it's pretty He went in the front on, runner. Yeah. But uh, what, what, do you, what do you think went right, went wrong uh, in Derby? 
Well, I think it, it came down to messaging. I think uh, Rich Zekin did a good job getting his message out to the people and uh, exposing Mayor Dugato's weaknesses and just being consistent in hitting those, staying on message and and working hard. If you remember, we did that uh, podcast a few months ago. I predicted he would win, but I didn't think it would be by that margin. Sorry. That was to, my... be, uh, to be quite honest with you. That... That was surprising. I didn't think it would be that big because Derby hasn't had an election with that big a win in, in quite some time. So I think that's quite a statement right there. And you know, you going back to your point, Ethan, that, or Ethan that, that's local. That has nothing to do with Donald Trump. There's no effect there. It's just the people of Derby wanted to change, and they came out overwhelmingly and, and voted for that change. Although neither Dugato nor Raslin, like made an issue of Trump or anything like that, so the, the, that never really entered into it, the. Uh, don't think it would have mattered in either place. Game. Yeah. What about the fracture within the Derby Democrats? Do you think that ended up hurting Mayor Degato badly? I don't think it ended up hurting her badly. I think it hurt her. Um, I think it made the results um, more dramatic. To be quite honest with you, I think you know Rich would have won regardless, but I think those that little split. I think you probably saw 100 or 150 votes that normally would have voted Democratic probably went over to to the Republican side and, and made that number even bigger. And then I just thought this is a random question, but now I was talking to uh, Andrew Backley, who was his campaign manager, and there's this transition team in place, and uh, there's really not a lot of time because they'll ha- by next month they have to have a team together mm-hmm. and, and take office. Uh, are there any... like? Is that transition part? What can you screw up? I guess I want to know. Like, what do you have to? What's the most important thing to concentrate on in the weeks before you take office? I mean, you got to hire a town attorney. How do you mm-hmm. make those decisions? Well, I think and those, everybody and their brother wants a job. I'm sure mm. those are the most important decisions that you will make, and it can't be. You can't put people in those positions because you're friends with them. You can't put people in those positions because they helped you on the campaign. You need to have the discipline to go out and hire people that can do the job, people that have reputations, people that have experience, people that know their way around. You know, I get a lot of grief. Um, you know, Rich Paterla, who is uh, Seymour's attorney, is a Democrat, and I get a lot of grief um, from Republicans over that. But we brought three or four different firms in to interview all reputable, and I just felt that I fit the best with Rich. And, and to be honest, his his guidance is very good because when we talk about specific issues, it's just not all Republicans talking about this issue. Rich will interject with, you know, his philosophy, his view. So I hear from the other side, and that kind of helps when we form these decisions. And I think we took it, it, on it's the a water benefit. company and won. Yeah, we did. We took on the water company Boom. and won. Yeah. That's a callback. Search valleyindy.org. Hi, this is Eugene, most likely interrupting myself to bring you a message from our sponsor. What will you be remembered for? Adding a charity to your estate plan creates a legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you during your life. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. It's an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Plan now. Give later. An impact tomorrow at valleygivesback.org. Now back to the show. You know, Stefan, just by way of response, Stefan said, you know, that would be statewide democrats would be jumping for joy 
Loretti Miller out of the Democratic rumored, declared, like who who would you not want to see, want to see run run uh, run against? I mean, you'd want to run against Malloy, I would think, but oh, well, <laughs> of course, I'd love to run against the governor. That would be uh, that would be fun. But you know, if if you look at the people that are currently in the race, I'm not sure that there's anyone, quite honestly, that intimidates any other candidate out there. I'm not saying that they're not good people. I'm not saying anything like that. But if you look at uh, what they bring to the table, you know, Mayor Drew is having his own issues with his campaign, the things that he did. Uh, Jonathan Harris, while is is a good guy and a hardworking guy, he was a big part of the Malloy administration. So I would argue that the issues that we're having are, are, are his as well. Um, You've spoken favorably about Nancy Wyman. Does she have that same problem? If Absolutely, she, a- she does. Um, you know, no, and again, while, while the lieutenant governor is a fantastic lady, um, and she's very friendly, she's very personable, she's likable. I don't think there's anyone in Hartford who doesn't like the lieutenant governor. She was his right-hand person. If you look at every press conference, every important event, there she was standing right behind him. Um, and unfortunately, she's going to get painted with with that brush now granted she was doing which her is job. what that's what Bahuniak said too mm-hmm. i don't think it, i don't that think brush. that made it into our podcast but he had said that as well what about let, let's take it back again to the local level and then we'll wrap it up i wanted to ask you about uh i don't know one or two seymour issues sure uh, we've had a lot of people uh messaging us about uh, uh the winery the vineyard that's Yes, there, the signs people. went up on 34. Can you tell us about that a little bit? We never really, I mean, that's our landlords. So we don't really write about that's a conflict of interest, but there's been a lot of interest in it. Yeah, no, Tony Mavuli, who owned or used to own uh, the Villa Bianca, the, he owned this piece of property, and this has kind of always been his dream to, to put this together. So it's going to be a vineyard. Uh, I believe there's going to be an ice cream shop, a little store. Uh, it's going to take uh, two or three years to, to get everything up and running because it takes a certain amount of time to grow the grapes and and do all that. But, uh, you know, Tony's excited. He's working with uh, planning and zoning in the wetlands, um, making sure he has everything set and, and ready to go. And I think it's going to be a great attraction on 34 uh, for people to come in to see more, to, you know, to, to just to have a good time. And, you know, and it's, it's in a beautiful location right down on the river. So Yeah, and it's right near Villa Bianca, right? Is it just kind yeah, of that area? It's about a mile, just, about a okay. mile down the street. Yeah, that's exciting. So I guess the signs yeah. went up and people know it's coming. So yeah, between Derby and Seymour, there's like the the hops company. The, there's a new tap room going in under downtown Derby. Yeah, the Bad, Bad Sons, Sons yeah. and then the winery. It's like a little They're probably a trail. mile and a half between Bad Sons and and where the winery will be. So you got the Dunkin' Donuts too on thirty four. <laughs> that's right. Can't forget that Chavez. <laughs> Eugene Driscoll for Valiandy.org. Hello, Ethan Fry and. First selectman, Kurt Miller. Your days are numbered, apparently. Hopefully, I guess, from your perspective, as Seymour first selectman. We'll see what happens. All right. Thanks a lot for coming by. Thanks for having me.